0: doing our third sermon in our series, Risk is Right. Uh, this series is a, a vision series for the members of our church uh, to envision us for the year uh, and what I, I believe God wants us to give our heart and our attention to for the year. Uh, so if you're new and visiting and you think this sounds a bit full on or this isn't what I want to do, uh, that's okay. This is, this is mainly preached to the members and congregate of our church so that they can know where we're going. And if you're like, hey, I want to get on board of this, well then, then this is what we're on board So um, today the sermon title is Risky Giving. Risky Giving. And I want to look at how risk and our money, risk and our riches go together. Uh, And I want to say at the beginning that I need this sermon uh, for my own soul. And and every year in February I preach on giving. Uh, We preach on it various times through the year. But Always at the beginning of the year, um, I need it. Because at the beginning of every year, I either want to keep my giving the same or go backwards. <laughs> my, I never come into the new year and think, I just want to give more, I want to be more uh, you know, generous. I'm always like, mm, I gave a lot last year. I'd rather keep some for myself this year. <laughs> and so this sermon is for me. And as I prepared it, it was such a wrestle because you can't just say words as a preacher. You have to live them. So I, I'm writing this sermon, you know, and these are great points oh no, <laughs> I've got to do it as well. Uh, but, but there's a joy in it uh, because this is the Lord's best for us. Let me read to you God's Word from Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. We have three stories from Luke today. It's Bible story time with Riley again, Now which will be fun for me. Uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus has just been teaching in the temple. We're going to come to this soon in Matthew's Gospel. There's all these scribes and Pharisees that are peppering him with questions. There's these righteous people walking around in long robes. And Jesus is kind of talking to his disciples and showing them what's what. He sits down after these long conversations being interrogated opposite the treasury And there's 13 uh, treasury boxes, each one with this massive trumpet coming out of it. The people put their money in as they go into the temple. Verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we ask that you may bless the preaching and reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably most guys in the room at some point have either owned or been somewhere with a bunch of guys where the Texas Hold'em poker set has come out. Uh, you may know of this style of poker. Uh, it's a particularly dramatic form of poker where the cards are revealed to sort of the one by one and you up your ante and your betting. And, and so at least when I was a young guy, yeah. we didn't put real money on the table. We weren't that um, crazy, but we would just play Texas Hold'em poker. You have your chips, you're trying to win the card game, and the way it works is that you're given your cards, so you know what you've got. Then there's a bunch of cards on the table, so everyone knows what's on the table, but you don't know what everyone else has. And, and the, the, the part of the game is part skill, part bluff, part risk-taking. And um, if you've ever seen it on TV, you know there, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a big TV movement around it. People used to watch it all the time. And as a TV person, you had the camera. So you could see whatever I had and the percentage chance they had of winning, and you could see how much money they had, and you would watch these guys all looking at each other with you know some with glasses, some with the poker face, some trying to you know put it all on. And they would all these cards would come out, and they'd have to make these decisions: should I put money in or take it out? Is can I win? Is it going to be worth it? But the other option they had was to bluff and just fake it and be like, I'm just gonna go put this on and pretend as if I've got something more than I do to kind of wipe out the competition. And I used to love watching it because I love that that risk and that reward and that, oh, what will happen, that suspense. And and there was always that moment when you watch it or you play it that someone goes all in. And uh, when you go all in, that means you take all the chips that you have. So if you're playing real poker, you might've Put in $1,000, or $10,000, or $100,000, and you put your whole cash reserves in, and you might have a million dollars in your kitty at this point, and you bet the house on your hand. Uh, And that moment everyone's like, oh, what's gonna happen? Are they gonna win, or are they gonna lose? It's a massive risk. You either cash in massively and win, or you're out, you're gone. It's a massive risk with money. And when we come to this story today, we have a similar sort of risk. We have this all-in moment. This poor widow goes all-in with her entire life savings and finances, her superannuation, her investment and everything, some total two copper coins. However, she goes all-in. She takes the risk. And the question I want us to ask today and for this year is this. Is it right to risk our riches for the cause of God? Is it right to risk our riches for the cause of God? Was the widow doing the right thing? Or was that foolish? Was that silly? Well, like I said, it's going to be Bible Story Time with Riley, and we're actually going to be in Luke's Gospel today. We're going to look at three stories that's going to help us answer that question and investigate and wrestle our hearts through it. And it's been a wrestle for me this week. It's been a wrestle in my heart, it's been a wrestle with my spreadsheet where I do all my finances, and I hope it's a wrestle that um, helps you, a wrestle that challenges you and and expands you and, and helps you to see the great glory of God and what we're meant to do with our riches. In it. And my hope is that through this sermon we'll be liberated from, like I said in the first sermon, the myth of safety and security and greed, and that we will become risky givers. So we're going to look at three people the risky widow, the stingy farmer, and the transformed tax collector. So let's look again now at the risky widow in Luke chapter 21. As I said, Jesus looked up after this confrontation and sees all the rich people coming in and putting their gifts in the offertory box. Now, there was no tap and go in this time. There was no checks. It was literal, physical pieces of money uh, that they were bringing. And uh, the tradition says that there were 13 of these treasury boxes, um, and they would go and put their money in. And so Jesus is watching it. And the rich, they probably looked rich, you could tell, because um, there was no Kmart where you could fake it. <laughs> you know, you either had good clothes or you had bad clothes. And then every now and then, like, we have Kmart, so you can buy stuff that looks like it's designer, but actually it was $3.50. Um, but they didn't have that, so you could tell who the rich were. And they would come with their, with their big chests of money, perhaps, and, and pour it into these you know, huge trumpet-like metal cylinders, and you would hear the money just, you know, sort of like a slot machine. Uh, you know, in the old school Vegas, you know, all the money comes out. You would hear that on the reverse side going in. And so you'd be able to tell how much people were giving. And people probably would have been like, wow, that's, that's so much money. That's so much money. That's so much money. The disciples are around Jesus at this point in the Luke Mark's gospel. So they're watching. And this is no coincidence. Jesus is, this is a teaching moment, divinely orchestrated, sovereignly placed. He's sitting there. And along comes, you know, the poor widow, likely a shawl, nothing to her. She's got two copper coins, a penny. Uh, In in the the currency of the time, what she brings is one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's day's wage for a labourer. So if you were just in the market and you worked all day, you got a denarius. She brought one sixty-fourth of a denarius. So, you know, daily average wage in Australia, minimum wage is like $200 or something like that. Um, And so she she put in five bucks. But that's all she had to put in. And you can imagine, uh, well, I was imagining this week as I was thinking about this, what was the widow thinking? So she's watching the rich come past as well. She's coming to the temple. Now, Herod's temple is a magnificent structure. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's an incredible structure that was built by Herod the Great. Beautiful. These treasury boxes, that was money to put in for the upkeep of the temple. But here's this temple, right? It doesn't look like it needs a whole lot of upkeep. And here's the rich putting in all their money. Tons and tons of gold. Rich person after rich person after rich person. What's the widow thinking? As she comes in with her two small copper coins. I'm sure, if it was me, I'd be thinking, I don't think the Lord needs this. I don't think this is going to have much impact. Why do I have to get this? Or, I don't have you know, enough to even live on. I'm putting myself in this position. But we don't know what she's thinking. But we do know what she did. She takes in her hand all she has to live on. And puts it. In the treasury box. Ding, ding. Just a a light noise. Like it was such a small point. Hardly would have made a noise as it hit the bottom. Now Jesus is watching this. What will Jesus do? What should Jesus do? She's throwing in her life savings. She's going all in. Well, I'm going to read what Jesus says in Mark's Gospel, because it's it's a little bit more expanded. Verse 43 in chapter 12 of Mark. He called his disciples to him and said to them, so this is a conference, alright boys, come on. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, For they all contributed out of their abundance, But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had, to live on. He wants them to learn this lesson of giving. It's not how much you give that determines the greatness of your gift. It's how much you sacrifice. The greatness of a gift, or the generosity of a gift, is not determined by how much you give, but how great the sacrifice is. Generous giving is measured by sacrifice, you could say, not by some. Generous giving is measured by the sacrifice, not by the sum. She gave more in God's sight than the rich. To put it in, in normal terms, uh, think of it like this. If someone in our Go Forward Fund, which we're going to launch next week, uh, if someone in our Go Forward Fund wrote on a little form, yes, Go Forward Fund 2022-2023, I would give, as and where needed, $10 million. Credit card number, Amex, <laughs> gold partner, whatever. <laughs> cool. Like, I mean, you know, Jordan and I would probably call and say, did you mean that many zeros? Uh, because there's a lot of zeros on that. And we pull out the next form and it says $800. Who gave more? Well in God's economy, it depends. See, a ten million dollar gift for someone who earned a billion dollars in the year prior is one percent of their earnings in the year. It's one percent. But for someone who earned eight hundred thousand dollars, uh sorry, no, eighty thousand dollars oh sorry, I meant to say eight thousand dollar gift. Okay, my bad. Eight thousand dollar gift versus ten million. Replay, fix it. head. Yeah, okay, we're there. Who gave more? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, okay. $8,000 gift. Well, for someone who earned $80,000 in a year, well, that's 10% of their gift. And so in Jesus' economy, they gave more. Because the generosity of a gift is measured by the sacrifice, not the sum, and the percentage matters to God. The percentage matters, not just the dollar value, it's the heart behind it, the motivation behind it, the love behind it, the cost behind it. Now he doesn't denigrate the gifts of the rich. We're not going to not take a $10 million forward fund. So if you've got $10 million and it's 1% of your annual income, fine, we'll take it. But he does want to reform how we view generosity in giving. And I want you to not miss this. Not only does he perform what equals generous giving, sacrifice, not the sun, he commends her risk taking. Don't miss that. Jesus is watching her. The rich here are not taking a risk, he knows it. They're giving out of their abundance. They have houses, they have crops, they have servants, they have money, they have reserves. They're giving, they're giving generously. It's lovely. But out of their abundance, the widow is going all in. Her safety, her security, her well-being, her bread for tomorrow, all of her wealth. She's giving it to God and saying, have it all. What would you do if you were there watching her? Or if she was next to you at church next week, filling in the go-forward club? What would you say to her? If she came to me, I could be no, don't do it. Mate, if you want to give, maybe one coin. Okay? Keep the coin. Keep a coin. Don't give it all. Don't go all in. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't go overboard. That's a bit much. But Jesus doesn't rush over and stop her. He allows her to throw in everything she has. And then he commends her. He loves her. He loves sacrificial and risky giving. And this story, this uncomfortable story, just sits there before us, doesn't it? It calls out to us, making us uncomfortable, making us squirm, at least it does for me. Really? Does Jesus really want us to do things like this? Are things like this good? Part of His good, pleasing and perfect will? Surely not. Surely Riley is not going to now come from this text and apply it to us and call us to be like the risky widow. Surely that's not about to happen. Maybe you're thinking, what if I run out of money? What if God doesn't pull through? Don't I need to provide for my family? Sure, that was good for this widow, uh, but not for me. Well, I want to test this story. We we'll want to test it and see what else does Jesus say that might help us to understand is this just here for her or is it here for us too? So that was the risky widow. Story number two, the stingy farmer. Go back to Luke chapter 12 verse 13. This is more us, I think, <laughs> or at least for me. Another story. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Hey, teacher! Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, to the whole crowd, speaks to us, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or in the NIV translation, I, I find it helpful. Watch out, Jesus says. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Our instinct is to watch out and make sure we're provided for. <laughs> Our instinct is to watch out and make sure we're not being too risky. Spending too much, giving too much away, making sure we have enough left for ourselves, making sure our super is catched up, our house is a good investment, we've got a deposit, etc. But what does Jesus want us to watch out for? Greed. Greed. His response to this unjust situation between two brothers who should provide inheritance is not knock it off split it evenly, give him the money he's due, Jesus' response to that, even though it's an injustice, watch out, greed is knocking at your door. Watch out, the 10th commandment, do not covet, is lurking. Be careful, you aren't choked, choked out by it and killed by the desire for more and more even when it's rightfully yours. Tim Keller in Counterfeit Gods comments that greed is a sneaky sin. Oh, by the way, if you're waiting for the farmer, the farmer bit's coming. So if the stingy farmer is coming, but we'll get in there. He comments that greed is a sneaky sin. We rarely notice it. It's not like adultery, uh, he comments. You don't get into bed with someone who's not your spouse and then go, oh no, adultery. I didn't realise that that was happening. But with greed... Jesus has to say, watch out, because it sneaks up on us. We don't realise we're affected and the cords of our heart are entangled. And then Jesus drives home this point of greed by telling a sermon. by telling a story. Luke chapter 12, 15 to 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Notice the language there. The land produced plentifully. Who made the land produced plentifully? God, right? You can't make your crops grow. If farmers could do that, then there wouldn't be any problems. Okay, so the land produces ly and that's the same for all of our that's a squeaky brand. that's the same for all of our jobs. it all comes from God. And so this farmer says to himself in verse 17, "What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, "Ah, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, ah you have ample goods." farmer, um, risky widow, who's the fool? Well, according to Jesus' economy, the stingy farmer. Now, in our eyes, he's a wise investor. In our eyes, you know, he's killer. That's a great idea. Store your grain and sell it off bit by bit. When you need it, you're gonna be sorted for life. Build up a massive super account. Have a good sharing deposit and home, et etc. et cetera. Store it up, make sure you're secure, so that you can live it good. You can retire and enjoy your life, but in God's economy, he's a fool. Now, he's a fool not just because of what he did with his money, but because of what he didn't do. He's a fool because he kept his money for himself and was not rich toward God, which means being rich toward others, because God doesn't need our money. He's a fool because he kept for himself. He said, soul, you will be well. It was all about him and his comfort and his desires and what his money could do for him excuse me rather than how he could be generous and bless other people i was with evie going for a walk the other day my daughter and uh, we saw this beautiful purse, um, and it drove past and was sparkling and polished and it had a, even a glass thing so you could see and see this magnificent coffin with beautiful flowers on top. And he, he said, what's that? I said, it's a hearse. And I said, there's a dead body in that car right there. And she's like, oh. <laughs> but, but what wasn't behind the hearse? There's no trailer. There's no storage unit. And John Piper helpfully says, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. The dead person in that hearse didn't bring anything with them. It all stayed here on earth. Same with the stingy farmer. So should we be risky in our giving? Should we be generous to a fault? Should we sacrifice more so we can give more? I think, I think Jesus would say yes. I think Jesus would say, watch out. Greed is going to get you. You should push yourself and grow and give more and more and more and sacrifice more and more and more. It is right, I believe, to risk our riches for the cause of God. It is right to risk our riches for the cause of God. God will not say to you, if you risk your money for the cause of Christ and the good of others to love them and bless them, He will not say, You fool. Instead, like the widow, he'll commend you. I don't want to do it, personally, you can <laughs> But it is right. We don't have to second guess, necessarily. Jesus isn't going to rush in and take the pen off you when you're writing down that number, or change your digits as you're typing in how much to tire this year, etc, etc. And we know that because Jesus then goes on in the rest of Luke 12, to expand upon that story of the Stingy Farm. Look at 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, so that story, the Stingy Farm, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will wear or put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Verse 29, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In short, It is right to risk our riches for the cause of the kingdom. Seek the kingdom and give towards it generously, crazily, riskily, and he will provide for you. Yes, it's scary. Jesus knows that. That's why he says, fear not. But there's the joy and the commendation of the Lord. And there's the example of church history. We're not alone. We're not going to be the first people to give riskily and crazily. If you know the story of George Muller, who was a German born, went to London, ended up starting orphanages because he so wanted to care for the lost little boys and girls in London who had no mum and dad. How was he going to provide for all these kids? Hundreds of kids. Never asked for money once. Just put his petitions before the Lord, prayed, and every time, Every need was met. Never asked. Lived a frugal life. Crazy risk for the cause of God that God provided because it was God's cause. Jesus then takes it even further. You think, I don't have that much money. I don't know. What am I meant to do? He's got the disciples. He's got the crowds. Verse 32. Sorry, 33 to 34. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Will there will your heart be also? It couldn't be more clear. Jesus drives the point home. You might say, "I don't have much money. I, I don't have enough to give right now." Okay, Jesus says, "Sell." What have you got? Show me. Show me your phone. Show me your car. Show me your house. Show me your what? Show me your goods. What have you got? Sell it. What can you sell? If you don't have anything to give right now, what can you sell, Jesus says? And by doing so, you'll provide money bags for yourself in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Whatever that means, there's a promise of future gain even in present cost. Now, I want to be clear, Jesus, uh, John Potter says this, Jesus isn't against investment, he's against bad investment. And what Jesus is trying to say here is it's a bad investment to accrue wealth here and not be generous. It's a bad investment to live in such a way that you can't give generously to other people and you can't give and give and give. That's a bad investment. That's a poor stewardship of your finances. It's a good investment to be wise with your money, make tons of it for the cause of Christ and give it away. That's good investment. So he's not against investment, just bad investments. Investments that are all about you and not about others. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at that, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal. Okay, so if you're stealing, stop doing it instead, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands. Third, that they may have something to share with those in need. There's three levels here. Point one, don't steal to get. Point two, work in order to get and provide honesty for yourself. But don't stop there. Point three, work in order to get, in order to give. That's the logic. That's what we're here for. That's what God's calling us to do. And so if you're not in that position, you need to radically reorient your finances today. Lest, lest God come to you tonight and say, you fool. How horrible. What terrible words. What terrible words to be said to you by Almighty God. You fool. You are not rich towards me. (laughs) I do not want that for any of you, nor for myself. I'm thankful and grateful to how genuinely generous we are as a church. We excel in giving generously. That is a mark and a trait of who we are as a church, but I want to extend this. I want us to not go backwards in this. I want this sermon to be a motivation to do more, to think what else can be funded? What else can we do? Who else can we help? Where else can we plan churches? What What unfed people, uneducated people, uncared for people are there around the world that we can care for? And as the Go Forward Fund comes around in the coming weeks, I want us to think risk is right. It is right to risk my riches for the cause of God here on earth. As you review your finances, think seek first the kingdom. And all this will be added. Think of the risky widow. Be deathly afraid of the stingy farmer. Think of the cause of the kingdom. The people we can help. Think of all the work we can do here as a church. And I want to apply some wisdom that was handed on to me for you to consider. I want you to consider, and if you're not at this point yet, tithing as a bare minimum for an expression of your generosity towards. Tithing was what the Old Testament saints before Christ were required to do by law, and we ought to do all the more because of the riches that we have in Christ. Tithing means taking 10% of all that God brings in through your bank account and giving it back to God. And I believe that for Christians is a bare minimum. That's a starting point. It's a starting point. And by tithing, uh, tithing is not on your net; it's on your gross. It's on what you get before you give it to tax, before you pay your rates, before you pay your mortgage. Tithing is you gross every bit that comes in. Every bit of dividend, every bit of salary, everything that comes in, every government payment that comes in, superannuation that comes in. Because that's all money that came in. And total it all up, take 10% and give it away. That, that's the bare minimum, I believe, for Christians. And then... Every year, this is the wisdom on to me, look, how can I extend that 10% to 11? 11 to 12, 12 to 13, 13 to 13.2, 13 to 13.3. etc. 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 cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and think not so much how much do I need to give, but how much should I actually keep? And start to reform our lifestyles in such a way that we enjoy the gifts God's given us, but we don't need them. We don't, we're not, they're not our idols that we have to have and we can't be enjoying our life. So think, what, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? What subscription do I need to end? Uh, you know, what purchase maybe I can live with hold and not do? Or what loan do I need to get rid of? Or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thinking all the time, not about the amount, but about the cause, about the great things that God wants to do. And then let that stimulate you to think, oh yeah, I can give that up for that. But if it's just a law and just an amount and just a 10%, your heart will grow bitter and cold. I wouldn't recommend that. But think about the kingdom of God and then let your percentage increase. Now, it's not a rule. You'll still get into heaven if you don't tithe. It's not how you're saved. But Jesus does say, watch out and for greed. I think if there's one sin that we rarely ever share it with group, it's, oh, I'm really greedy this week. I'm really coveting. Friends, watch out. Watch out. Our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Govern your giving by the cause of Christ. Govern your giving by the cause and your generosity by the cause of Christ. Govern your giving by the cause of Christ, not by your standard of living. Don't change your amount of giving so that you can actualize some incredible standard of living. Change your standard of living to increase your standard of giving. It's a totally upside-down way of viewing it. Be willing to risk your comfort, ease and pleasures for the kingdom like the widow. But how do we actually get there? Right, that's rule, law, uh, scary. Well, our third story, the transformed tax collector. The risky widow, the stingy farmer, the transformed tax collector. This is going to be short, but it's a powerful story that shows us how do we get these greedy and covetous hearts to be set free? How do we unentangle ourselves? Well, let's read another one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich uh, that's probably some understatement to be the arch tax collector in a city a city like Jericho he would have been uber wealthy um, wealthy from taxing his fellow countrymen his fellow Jews and giving it to the Romans and keeping much way more than he needed to for himself like the stingy farmer storing it up and he was seeking and, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was so Zacchaeus has this uh, like, he's hated by everyone. No one likes Zacchaeus. And, and maybe he hears of the love of Jesus. And so, on the count of the crowd, he could not see who Jesus was because he was small in stature. Uh, and everyone hates him. So no one's going to make room for Zacchaeus. They're going to elbow him in the head. So he ran on ahead and did what was really shameful in that culture and climbed up a tree. And, and so he could see Jesus as he passed by. In verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down, which would have been a sight, came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they, that is the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. Like, they hate this guy. This guy is so annoying. Not just annoying, but like a traitor, a threat. And they say, he's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. they're looking at Jesus going, you, you're a sicker. Why are you hanging out with this guy? He's an enemy.
1: And Zacchaeus stood and said
0: to the Lord, and notice this Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So, Zacchaeus' response to the love of Christ, to welcome him in and to want to fellowship with him and eat with him and actually be included by this righteous holy teacher, his response is generosity, radical generosity. Half of his possessions, now he's in our day a multi-millionaire, half of his possessions. That means selling off land, selling off cattle, selling off slaves, everything, getting rid of it so he can give it away to the poor. And then not only that... If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, everyone in that community he's defrauded. Everyone in that community he's stolen from. And in the law, he was only actually required to give them 20% back. So, if he stole $1,000 from someone, he was required to give them 1000 200 Instead, he says, I'll give you four. I'll give you four grand. So, what do I owe you? I owe you a grand? Okay, he's four. I'll give a fourfold. So he's so changed; he's radically transformed. In verse nine, Jesus says to him, "Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." The question is, what changed Zacchaeus? Was it the law? Oh, I meant to tithe few years. How about 50%? Probably not. Was it shame? No, the shame of the people. That didn't help him to become generous. Was it guilt? Maybe. We don't know. What we do know is what changed him was grace. It's grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus seeks him out in his foolish greed and loves him and saves him. And his response to the saving love and grace of Jesus is generous risky giving he doesn't give to get saved okay but be clear he gives because he got saved look at what Jesus says in response to Zacchaeus again he says salvation has come to this house not because Zacchaeus gave the giving is evidence of the salvation coming the giving is fruit the giving is not the root because Zacchaeus is radically changed, Jesus has said, salvation has come. I can tell because you've changed. It's grace that liberates greed. It's grace that produces generosity in us. 2 Corinthians 8-9 spells out this logic. It's grace that will save us from our greed and actually change us. The Apostle Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The logic is this, friends. By going deeper and deeper into the message of the gospel that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus welcomes us and loves us. By going deeper into that message, we are liberated to now give our riches away. Zacchaeus was changed by grace. Not by the Lord, not by guilt, not by shame, not by duty, but by the love of Jesus. And so if you're feeling afraid, feeling this is too risky, this is too scary, I don't want to give, I want to keep it for myself, go back to the cross. Jesus didn't tithe his blood on the cross for our sins. Jesus didn't give 10% away of his blood. Jesus didn't only cover 10% of our sins. Imagine if Jesus' blood only covered 10% of your sins. No. He paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Reflect upon the costly and dear love of Christ for you, and let it liberate your heart. Let it free you from the need for riches here, so that you can then give and spread this good message and spread the love and the mercy and the compassion of Christ All over the world. To the degree that we are amazed by grace, assured of his love and care, we will give generously, sacrificially, and riskily. To the degree that you're affected by the gospel, that's how much you give. Unaffected by the gospel, hard, hard. Affected by the gospel, oh, what else can I give? How who else can I help? Who else needs to know? It is right to risk our riches for the cause of Christ. Final question. I want you to think. ask this question to yourself. Why am I so rich? Now, you might not feel very rich, but in comparison, why are we so rich? Why has God ordained that you and I would have $50,000 this year, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000. Why are we so rich? Why do some of us own properties? Why do some of us have jobs? Why do some of us have share options? Why are we so rich? Is it so that we can ever increasingly have comfort and appetites and pleasures and, and more wealth? Or is it that God has given us such wealth, such Amazing job, Such security and stability, so that we can be the channel by which other people are helped and blessed and built up and churches are planted. The mission goes forward. Why are you so rich? Why has God given you this job? I want you to think about that and then consider am I comfortable keeping how much I keep? Texas Holden Poker, when they go all in, that's the moment. Is it a good risk or a bad one? Jesus looks at the the risky widow and he commends her. It's not a rule. You don't have to go all in. But risk is right for the cause of Christ. We have big plans as a church. We have big plans as Song Grace Australia. We have big plans as Song Grace Global. We have big plans like Open Doors and ICM and all these causes. And God has raised up means here. Channels by which these funds can go out and help. So friends, may I commend you, risk it, go all in, whatever that looks like in a sense, for the cause of Christ, and live in the joy of seeking first the kingdom, and experience the grace of him providing for your every need along the way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us stories, powerful images, we thank you for the widow, blessed saint. Can't wait to meet her Lord in glory and ask her what it was like to put in those two coins. Lord, we thank you for the story of the stingy farmer that should shock us and make us watch out. Lord, we thank you to you give us grace to transform us. I need that grace to be transformed. I am greedy, O oh Lord. We are likely greedy and covetousness and covetous. Lord, would you liberate us and help us to ever grow in our generosity, never going backwards, sacrificing more for the unfed, uneducated, uncared for, unGospel people of the world? I pray and ask that you would bless our giving, O oh Lord. May it exceed and be abundant for your good, for the good of the world rather, and your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.